Brother Mike, will you and uh, Brother Mark help me out here and pass those out? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Good to see everybody this morning. Hope you're doing well. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. It's good to be with you. Thank you for your prayers last week, and no doubt due to that, what God did in the prisons last week, just an answer, response to people's prayers, and so because of His faithfulness, God is good. We had a really good, uh, really good response. You know, it was, uh, you kind of almost know when God's doing something, when you start, everything starts kind of pushing back against you, you know, and I got up that morning to drive up there, and I checked my phone and put the address in, it's supposed to be two and a half hours, it told me it's going to be four hours, they had a wreck on the freeway, it was closed down, the Lord found me a detour around, and we got there right on time as it worked out, but uh, but anyway, God was good, and then of course, that you get there on time, and everything's looking great, and it's wonderful, and it's ready to go, and if Brother John was here, he could testify to you in the prison, the way things go, is then they can't clear their count. So then the men are like an hour behind getting in there, you know, and and then, uh, you know, then they mess up their lunch schedule, and then it's an hour, hour and a half wait for the next group of men, you know, so it was just the Lord, the Lord made it through, I mean, everything was good, and uh, had good conversations with men in between, uh, but uh, glory to God, some men got saved, and, um, you know, and every time I go to the prison, um, and people find out who I am, where I'm from, <clears throat> they always come up to me. Uh, Brother Brent, and they mentioned that somebody at least will come up to me and mention the podcast. And several people did this this past Sunday. And one guy said, yeah, he said, I've never met him before. He came up and said, you're from East River? And he said, yeah. He goes, I listened to that podcast. He said, that's my favorite podcast. I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, stay there. You'll find some truth. And uh, so it's amazing what God's doing. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunities and uh, Thankful for Brother Brent just staying with that, putting it together, Brother Roger, because God's using it. And uh, and men come up and ask me good questions about things they hear on there, you know. And some of the guys, one guy I talked with for a good while, he's getting ready to get out. And now he's, you know, a little bit anxious. He's been in prison for about 13 years, you know. And uh, he's kind of nervous about getting out and learning to live life outside the walls, you know. And that's a whole nother challenge, you know, but, uh, but thank God they're getting some help from the Word of God and they want to do right. A lot of them do. So pray for them and uh, pray for us as we go and minister tomorrow night. Brother Roger, you're going with me tomorrow night, right? Okay, so pray for me and Brother Roger. I'm going to verify with the chaplain. I'll put your name in several weeks ago. I'm sure it's cleared, but um, we'll be preaching there tomorrow night. Look forward to it to that and what God's going to do. So let's have a quick review here. We were in Nehemiah 8 last time. We're in Nehemiah 9 today. Nehemiah 8 is where, you know, he begins, to, the, the revival really starts with what happens in Nehemiah 8 when they bring out the book and Ezra starts preaching, starts teaching, just reading the book and then people explaining it and they start responding to that. And so after a time of good preaching... Then uh, they have a whole day of preaching. Then the leaders come back the next day and they say, preach to us some more. Right? And so they do. They preach to them some more. And guess what they find out? Oh, there's some stuff in there we forgot or we didn't know. And so they say, oh, we're supposed to have this, not just this feast, but we're supposed to camp in the, these uh, these tents, uh, basically, these little huts that we're supposed to build. We're supposed to camp out, have camp meeting. And so they have camp meeting. And they have a, a wonderful time. Matter of fact, before I get a little bit ahead of myself, before the... The second day happens, 
You remember there was a time there in chapter 8, I believe it's verse 9, where they, they came to Nehemiah and the guys and they were weeping. And they told them that weep not. This is not a time of weeping. It's a time of rejoicing over what God has done. This is a time to be joyful. And it says that their strength, the joy of the Lord was their strength, right? And so they go through this whole week and then they have basically a, a, a one day, it looks like, interval where there's nothing recorded. And then the next day is when we start here in chapter 9. So remember, chapter 8, in verse uh, verse 9, <clears throat> it says that, uh, it says, Mourn not, weep not, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. And then down in verse 10, it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. That was their message at that time, during that season, for the feast. Okay? So they were to be filled with joy, and they were not to weep, and they were not to mourn. And now in chapter 9, verse 1, after that's ended in a one-day interval, now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. So what do do you think the fasting, the sackcloths, and this earth upon them, what does that signify? Repentance, right? Humility, humiliation. They're humiliating themselves. They're lowering themselves. They're repentant. So what's happened is after a good time of preaching, what is the normal response? When you start to hear, really hear the Word of God, and you see the difference between who God is and where we are, and where He expects us to be, there's a time of of repentance. And that's one of the marks we're going to look at today of revival. The first one that generally when true revival breaks out in a person's heart or in a group of people, it always starts with repentance. People start getting right. And, um, you know, I was, um, I I, I read about revivals a lot and I study about revivals a little bit. And and I was thinking about the Hebrides Islands and uh, Duncan Campbell's. A testimony about that, you know, and he said this, he said that revival was already there when I got there. See, revival doesn't come with a man, or it doesn't come from a man, it comes from God. And God had done a work in these people through His Word. And then He's going to use a man to continue that process, and that's what He did with Duncan Campbell there, and other men, but revival starts with God. When God, when people, God's people start to respond to God's Word, He then brings them to a point of revealing himself to them and revealing things about themselves. And that's where where revival can begin. That's when repentance uh, comes in. And so it's an attitude and a position regarding God. It's regarding they were deserving punishment. That's why I think the ashes, sometimes described here as earth or ashes on their heads, that it was a it was a sign of deserving of punishment and um, and they and claiming that they had no righteousness of themselves and isn't that what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter three verse ten there is none righteous no not one there's none that seeketh after God so if anything good is in us it is Him it is Christ and uh, and so we recognize that that's the beginning of, of where revival begins and and really God already knows these things about us by the way right. He already knows what he was getting before he chose us, before he, he, he brought us into his family, drew, drew us into our family, and drew us to repentance. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 8, that the 
the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. And in, in John 6, it says that God, no man cometh to the Father unless God lead him. Right? So, so the Father is leading, working in our lives, leading us to him. And then he knows what he's getting when he chooses us. And so God's not surprised. I thank God for that. He wasn't caught off guard here at this time. He's not caught off guard in our time. Okay, But I'll say this. When we get the word of God and we really start hearing it, there's three things that happen. And this is what I see happen to these guys here. Number one, it raises our fear of the Lord. That's what Brother Roger has been preaching about in this worship, is that when we start to see God really high and lifted up and really see how we've missed the mark, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we see that, yes, that should instill some fear in us. Not terror, not, not trembling, not torment, but certainly some fear. And because we know God is good, Brother Bradley, that's what keeps us from fearing God in, in a terrible way or in, in a terrified way. But His greatness, His magnitude causes us to feel this uneasiness before Him because we know we haven't measured up. And that's the second part, and this is what keeps us from living in fear, is that it also exalts His mercy. So see, and this is going to go on throughout this chapter here, is that what they see and what we should see is, number one, it raises our fear of God, but number two, it exalts God's mercy. So when we see His strength and we see His power and we see our failure and we see His, the way He's acting toward us, brother Craig, that makes, exalts God's mercy. We got something we didn't, we didn't get what we deserved. That's where the revival can begin is when we get to to this point. And then the last thing that it does is it lowers our esteem of ourselves. Amen. And so this repentance involves also some confession. So let's look at verse 2 and require some some sincerity. Verse 2 says, And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. What does it mean? What do you think he's talking about when it separated themselves from all strangers? What was one of the problems that Israel had? One of the sins that we know they had committed? Yes, idolatry. Yeah, intermarrying. Yeah, absolutely. They've taken wives of, of, the, of the heathen. And they've given their sons and their daughters to the heathen. Yeah? And so, they've got mixed marriages. And, uh, and I think that this right here, this separation, it's going to be a lot more later on in this book about this. But I'll just say this, sin always brings confusion. And sin is always costly. And, um, and so, there's a lot of confusion. And I think their separation here is a, just a sign before God of their sincerity to do what God wants them to do to get right. Doesn't it, isn't it when God starts to deal with our heart, doesn't He expect to see something from us showing that we are sincere with Him? That yes, we're willing to put this aside. We're willing to, to do whatever you say, Lord. It's easy to say that. But to actually take a step and do something that shows it, I think that's what they're doing here. They're separating. If you look at that word there that the, the King, James, King James Bible talks about, that, that it really implies even their, their children, their Ill, really illegitimate children that were come from these mixed marriages, that they've separated away from them to hear this, this word of God here. 
to hear what God had to say about this issue. And look what they confessed, the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, this is going to get deeper in this chapter. We'll talk about that more. And look at verse verse 3. But confession is beginning here. Verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day, and another fourth part of the day they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Was that not a sign of sincerity? Did they not say, okay, Lord, we're serious about this. You you preach to us for three hours, and then we'll get right for three hours. That's the way you go. We'll take a little break, and then we'll come and pray, confess, and worship for three hours. My goodness. Three hours. Brother Roger, these days you go to church three hours a week. You're a fanatical. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, you're in a cult. Show up to church three times a week for an hour or more. What's wrong with you? Three hours, they said, preach to us. Then three hours, we'll get right. Man, I tell you what, we, we, we do need a lot more time of getting right than what we get. Amen. We need a lot of time of that, for sure. It's interesting sometimes. Uh, there's a time of hearing the Word of God, and then there's a time of responding to the Word of God. Sometimes I think we, we lack in the second. Uh, so, but what's always involved in revival? So, one mark was repentance and confession, and then the other thing here we see is the book. The book's always involved in revival. Anything that's based on God, that God's doing something, it's going to be around the book. The Bible's going to be preached. The Bible is going to be spoken. It's going to be read. There's going to be something because why? Because God reveals Himself through His Word most of the time. And then what else? He reveals. What's going on with his people through his word most of the time, right? So what happens here? Again, we get a higher vision of God. We get a lower esteem of ourselves. So the book is critical for that. Without the book, how are we going to know? How are we going to know the Lord if we don't know what what he's like from his book? And then we see in verse 4, now we see the leader step up again. It says, Then stood up uh, upon the stairs of the Levites, a list of their leaders that preached back in chapter 8. And it says, And with a loud voice they cried. They cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. And then another group of Levites stood up and they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be the, thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. I think worship broke out now. Y'all see that? They said, okay, we got right. We saw the mercy of God. We need to stand up now, and we need to, we need to worship the Lord. We need to confess some things. And, and by the way, Brother Roger, I still think about that message you taught on prayer about acts and, uh, and that confession. And Brother Roger brought out a great point. Is there's two types of confession, what we confess to God about ourselves and what we confess to Him that is true about Him. They're starting to confess what's true about God. They confess the iniquities of our fathers and our sins. Now they're saying, yeah, and you know what else? This is what's true about God. Blessed be His name forever and ever and all blessings. And they're going to go on and, and say more about that. But don't leave out that second part of the confession. And look at the first thing that they, when they start exalting His name, this is, I, I, I'm amazed how often in Scripture, when you talk about start exalting the name of God, it begins at creation. Creation is the, is the cornerstone 
You understand? If God's not creator, he's not God at all. And, and that is under attack in our society like you can't believe, isn't it? I mean, you go into any type of educational environment, any kind of healthcare environment, you get anything like that, it is assumed that evolution is true. And just spoken of as such. You know, and it's, it's very, uh, it's grievous. It's very grievous. But look what he says here in chapter, in verse 6. It says, Thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, and the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preparest, thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worship thee. Now, hold your place there and go to Hebrews chapter 1. So what are they praising God for here first? That He's the Creator. And what did He create? Sound like He created everything. And what did He make it from? Nothing. Why did he make it from nothing? Because there was nothing for him to make it from. Amen. It's like God just spoke it into existence. How can you stumble over anything else if you can believe that? If God spoke it, spoke the whole universe that we see into existence from nothing. And I, I think everything else, Brother Craig, is easy for God after that, isn't it? I mean, come on. If people want to talk about other stuff, they stumble about. But I, I love this verse right here. It says, verse 3, who being the, we're in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and express the image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he hath by himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at that phrase there where it says, upholding all things by the word of of his power. In Nehemiah it says, Thou preservest them all. You know, the reason the moon stays in its place is because Jesus Christ is upholding the universe. Everything stays in order because of him. He's not only the creator, he's the sustainer of the universe, as it, as it tells us also in Colossians chapter 1. Amen. And we see, if we look over in uh, Hebrews 11, since you're in Hebrews, just flip over to uh, chapter 11, and we see... Talking about faith, verse 3, it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. (laughs) Amen? So, understand that God made everything out of nothing. We'll go back to Nehemiah. And that's the first place where we start in our estimation of God and, and, uh, and, and our exalting of Him. We must start with that foundation. And, uh, and this is really leading us into the next thing here about, uh, about revival that we see here is that it causes us to remember some things about God. Some things that He's done for us personally. Some things about what He's done in history that He's recorded in His book. Some things that He reveals even about who He is. And then it causes us to have a time of reflection. And so... I want to ask you something. Look what he says in verse 7. We'll just read this. It says, Thou art the Lord, the God, yeah, thou art the Lord, the God who didst choose Abram and brought us him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave us him the name Abraham. Now, for the Jew, they're going back to their founding. They said Abraham. 
By the way, it's not inappropriate for us to do that as the seed of Abraham by faith. Amen. And, uh, <clears throat> but he said God chose him. God did this. God set that apart. He, he set apart that time. And they want to remember that. And they want to exalt God for that. So let me ask you, has God ever done anything for you personally? Has he ever helped you in some way? Have you ever written it down, recorded it, reflected upon it, thanked him for it? It'd be a good idea for us to kind of get a little book of remembrance going in our lives. You know, and look at, and just go back and, 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 and look at, oh man, God, I forgot about how God brought me through that. You know, and what God did for me there, and how He answered that prayer, and the way He moved in that situation. How He directed my steps and brought me to where I am now. And that's basically what this whole chapter here is about, is about the, the history of Israel. How God chose Abram. And then he allowed him to go into Egypt and he brought him out. And he brought him to the Red Sea and he took him across. He preserved him through the wilderness. And then he brought him into the promised land. There's, if you look at the, at the conjunctions here at these next few verses, there's ands everywhere, okay? It's adding on. There's an and in verse 8. And then it starts in verse 9 with and. And verse 10 with and. And verse 11 with and. There's all these things. And then it says, verse 12, moreover... Man, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar and a fire, uh, a pillar of fire. And, and then it gets down to verse 14 and 15. It says, and, and, and then look at verse 16. But, boy, all these things about God, all the remembrance of what He did for us, how good he was. How strong he was. How, man, he gave them everything. He brought them into the promised land, Brother Kevin. They got fields they didn't plant. They got cities they didn't build. They got blessings they had nothing to do with it. God had put the, gave them to them. You, that's the next word that you see through the rest of this chapter regarding God is he gave us, he gave us, he gave us, he gave us. That word's repeated over and over and over again. He gave. That's what God does. He gives. Did not for God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's what... God, that's, that's, that's how God is. But the problem is, what about the but in verse 16? Look at the but. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hardened not, uh, and hearkened not to thy commandments. Well, that's a tough one. After all God did for them, they're looking back, they're remembering this. They're saying, yeah, God, you did all that, you did all that, you did all that. Isn't that the way it is in our life? And then all of a sudden it's like, but. We mess up, don't we? Thank God for His mercy. Man, when we reflect and we see our failures even in that, we don't dwell in those, but when we reflect on them, we need to dwell on God's mercy. Dwell on God's mercy. Amen. And that's what they do here. They do a fantastic job here of what the people are doing, what these men, these Levites are saying here. And it says, verse 17, And refused to obey, neither were mindful of the wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks 
and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of a great kindness, and forsooketh them not. Man, does that not describe our God? In my life, I'm going to tell you what, that describes God right there. I'll tell you what, I thank God He's slow to anger. Boy, you know, we've done some things that we shouldn't have done. And God has been so merciful. I mean, look at this. They're even bringing out the example of after he brought them through the Red Sea and Moses is up on the mount and they're down there making an idol and saying, this is what brought us out of Egypt. Even in that, God, although God did say to Moses, I'm going to destroy them all and start over with you. But God didn't. He had mercy on them. Amen. And I can't explain all that about how God, Moses prayed, but I do know this. I do know it's important for us to have some remembrance of what God's done for us. I think it's important for us to realize that God has not forsaken us. That's what the Bible, that's what it said right there in verse 17. He forsooketh them not. And He's not forsaken us either. He mentions that again over in verse 19. Thou forsooketh them not. And then down in verse 20 it says, And thou gavest also thy good spirit. Look at that. Even so much so, he said he gave them at the end of that verse, them water for their thirst. He gave them water. How did he give them water? Out of a rock. God gave them water out of a rock. He gave them bread from heaven, water out of a rock. They still wouldn't go in. It says, Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations. Thou broughtest them into the land. Verse 24, thou gavest them uh, the, the, their, uh, into their hands with their kings. They gave them the kingdoms. They gave them all that. And they became, the end of verse 25, they became fat and delighted themselves in thy goodness. And verse 26, nevertheless, they, diso- they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew the prophets and test- that test- which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Boy, I tell you what, it goes into the time of Judges here after that. And he says he gave them great saviors there. In the time of Judges, y'all know the cycle, very similar. But I tell you what, people in general have a problem. And that is, when they do well, they don't think they need God. That's human nature. That's not the spiritual man, okay? That's the old man. But the, but the nature is, when everything's going well, I got plenty of food, I got some money in the bank. <clears throat> Everybody's healthy. We don't need God. The very one that gave you all the things that you have, all of a sudden now, we don't need Him. That's our temptation, guys. If God blesses us, let's make sure that we keep our eye on Him. Amen. And that's what happens in revival is that we get our focus back onto God. And we look back and say, yes, Lord, we have turned away from you. Thank God for your mercy that you brought us back to this point. Because if you're at this point where you see these things, and that's a good thing, that means that God is beginning to draw you to himself in a closer way, which is what we want. And God is good and he's merciful, uh, even in judgment. Now look down in verse 30 and verse 31. I want to show you something here. It says, Yet many years did thou forbear them, and testifieth against them by the Spirit in thy prophets, yet would 
they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them to the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. You know what? Even in mercy, even in judgment, God is merciful. You understand? God doesn't change. He can't be any different than He is. He's always merciful. And uh, He's always good. And uh, He works things together for good. And I thank God for that. But, but He said that God in His goodness allowed an oppressor basically to come on you, to oppress you, so that you would come back to Him. He'll do that for us, by the way, too. If we get away from Him, He'll, be, he'll gently try to bring us back. And if not, then He'll put some pressure on us. He'll bring some, some oppression on us that will cause us to come to our knees and turn back to Him. God in His wisdom knows how and when to do that. But He is His purpose and His motive. And this is why He's always good. And this is why He's always merciful. Because His motive is to restore. His motive is reconciliation. Amen. <coughs> that's what He's always working toward for us. And that's what He was doing for these guys. And then verse 33 is kind of a summary, I think, of this. It says, Howbeit thou art just in all, talking about God, howbeit thou art just in all that thou broughtest upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. We need to practice that a little bit. Might have to have a class after this class, just practicing saying, Lord, I was wrong. You're right. I was wrong. You were right. I think that's that's where they came to. They said, we did wickedly. We did wrong. We, we sinned against your goodness and your mercy to us. Well, God, you were right. You were right in everything that you did. And everything the way you did it was perfect. And so that's God. That's, he can't be any different than he is. Now, I thank God for this. Our sin is judged at Calvary, but the consequences are not all taken away. Y'all understand that, right? And so... I think God have also not reaped all that I've sown. But I want to ask you this. How much of the abundant life that Jesus came for? He said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. How much of the abundant life have we missed out on? If my sin is judged already at Calvary, right? Won't be brought up at the judgment seat, but how much of the abundant life am I missing out on because of my sin? And there's two things in particular which we'll get to next week that he talks about in chapter 10. But he gets into it a little bit here in, in verse 36. So let's look at verse 36. It says, Behold, we are servants this day and for the, uh, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set uh, over us because of our sin. So let me ask you something. They, had the, they were in the promised land, but they did not have liberty there. They, had the, the, they still had dominion. The Persians had dominion over them. See? So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we're here, Lord, but, but we really don't have the freedom and liberty we were created and designed to have. And that you would have given us, Lord, and that he would give them again as well. If they would stay right with him and keep his commandments and do what he said. 
And so in our life, who's got dominion? So it goes on to not just talk about the land, but if you look down in, uh, in verse 37, verse 38, end of verse 37, it says, They have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. So, their servants, the kings are getting the increase of their land. They have dominions over their bodies. They tell them what they can do, what they cannot do. So who's, who's Lord of your life? That's a good question. Is it self or is it the Lord Jesus? There's no worse taskmaster than self. He's horrible. That old guy, he's always trying to take over, right? Even though he's dead, he doesn't, he doesn't pretend and act like he's dead. So we need to make sure that our bodies are in the possession of the Lord, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So with all this, and we talked about the, the abundant life, the freedom, the liberty, the peace in our hearts that comes with this, let me give you a little checklist of things that might be hindering us from experiencing this. All right. So let's talk about first about our horizontal relationships. Let's talk about our relationships between men. Amen. What about is our attitude of superiority, us making ourselves to esteem ourselves higher in our own mind, or to make ourselves appear better before our brother, causing a a God to resist us because of our pride? Because we know God resists the proud, right? Or maybe it's our attitude of grumbling, complaining. I mean, if you think about and really remember and reflect on what God's done for you, what in the world do any of us have to complain about? Or is it, a, is it an area maybe of hypocrisy? You know, where we appear to be something that we're not. Those are some possibilities, some things for us to think about. What about our devotion to God? So our vertical relationship. How much time are we putting into this? How much thought do we put into even serving God? And what about witnessing? You know, being faithful. Being a faithful witness wherever we go. Letting God use us. Just letting our mouth speak what's coming out of our heart. You know, if our heart gets more full... Of God, God has more of His rightful place on the throne of our heart. Jesus said, for out of the mouth comes what's in the heart, right? So I think that would help us in that area. It certainly would help me, I know. And then what about when God is moving in our life? And I know I've experienced this in my life before. And you ever wonder, it's like God's really moving and God's really near and He's really close and you feel Him and you're really revived in your heart. And then it just drifts away. What do I do to quench that? And most of the time it's because of disobedience. Because we just won't take that step of faith that God is, is prompting us to do. And then we slowly begin to lose that revival that God has given us in our heart. So I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to challenge you that, to step up in, in, in this area of devotion to God. Check our relationships between our brothers. Because what do they do at this point here? Um, uh, In principle, it's right. Um, In practicality, it's it's impossible 
you know, because, uh, you know, they make a covenant with God. And we'll read the verse uh, 38, and it says, And because of all this, we made a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. You know, they made a covenant uh, before God before Exodus at the mount. It didn't didn't go well. We'll talk about that covenant next week. We'll talk about the last principle that I see here on revival um, and that and, and how we can apply that to the New Testament Christian who has the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Spirit in us and how we can now have an advantage that they didn't have. Amen. And so, look forward to that. Thank you all for being here. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we thank you for a good day. Thank you for, uh, Lord, the opportunity and the liberty here to just uh, teach the Word of God. Pray, God, you use it in our hearts and lives, Lord. We sure, we know we need revival, Lord. And I, I think we want it. I just don't know if we want it bad enough, Lord. I pray you just stir up our hearts about it, God. Help us to realize that there's nothing hindering us but us, God. And, um, Lord, you are good. You are faithful. Lord, pray you use Brother Roger today in the preaching of the Word of God. May we be attentive and responsive. Have the attitude to obey, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.